morning. What we're going to do to start out is I want you to find the closest person next to you and tell them what your favorite emotion is, all right? Just, uh, you know, just tell them, hey, what's your favorite emotion? It may be this time of year, some of you just love to be scared. I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with you, but maybe you just love that time of year, and you're just like, man, I love the feeling of just being scared. Maybe some of you love the feeling of being full. You just like to go to a restaurant, you just like that feeling of being full. Uh, whatever your favorite emotion, maybe you like joy, maybe you like peace, whatever your favorite emotion is. You got it? Everybody got their favorite emotion? Okay, now I'm going to do a quick poll, all right? Now, how many of you said, my favorite emotion is love? Can I see your hands? Okay. All right. I, I, I thought I would hear, I get all the ladies. Hey, we got a couple of men. I didn't expect any guys, but we got a couple, so that's good. But most of the ladies said love is their favorite emotion. And I would dare say, for many of us, that's an emotion we don't mind at all. I mean, uh, that, that's one. We, we don't like stress. We don't like that emotion. We don't like anxiety. We don't like that emotion. We don't like worry. There's, there's a lot of emotions we don't like. But when it comes to love, we're all kind of like, yeah, I'm down with love. Love's okay. Love is cool. Love is good. And uh, this morning, as we take the next step in our journey of discovering who God is, I, I should just quit. I should stop, hang it up, and just stop being a pastor if we don't talk about that God is love. I mean, how can you miss that fact? And I think we've been hearing it since we started going maybe in Sunday school or maybe a vacation Bible school. Or maybe if you're new to church, there's one thing you know about Christianity is that God is love. You say, I don't know a whole lot, but what I do know is that God is love. And you're sitting here saying, yeah, I got that one. Well, you fit in here, okay? Because we all agree that God is love. And we're going to start there this morning. We're going to go to two passages. The first one's going to be up on the screen. And it's in your notes. It's 1 John chapter 4, and the notes say verse number 9. We're going to start in verse number 8, if that's all right with you this morning. And uh, we're going to pick it up from there because we see in this passage really where this whole topic that God is love comes from. And we're going to just read there, and then we're going to be going to Luke 15, okay? We're going to be doing a little Bible jujitsu, so you're going to have to kind of keep up with me just a little bit this morning. Are you glad you're here? Yeah, yeah, and there's a couple people. Yes, I'm, we're glad we're here. Excited. I'm glad you are here. I'm glad you're here. Whether or not you are, I'm glad you are. So thank you for coming, getting up this morning. It's a beautiful day. I like the brisk cold air. Is there anybody else who said, hey, this was nice today? Yeah, hey, we got more applause for that than coming to church. Amen. It's God's creation. Hey, there we go. We'll take that. It was great this morning getting up. It just was invigorating. Just kind of that air hits you and just kind of wakes you up. I'm about ready to get some of that air in here kind of get stuff in here but we're going to start first john 4 verse number 8 the bible says he that knoweth not god he that loveth not knoweth not god he that loveth not knoweth not he that doesn't love doesn't know god is really what they're trying to say okay and then the writer goes on to say for god is and what's the next word love can we say those three words together God is love. One more time. God is love. And just one more time. God is love. Now, here's the thing. If we're honest, and it's okay, we're in church, it's okay to be honest. Sometimes we don't feel in love with God. Sometimes we know that God is love. Sometimes we just don't know if we really love him. And there's going to be times in your life you're going to doubt whether or not he 
loves you. Like you know it in the abstract, you know he died on a cross and he saved you. But there's going to come a time where Satan is going to tempt you to have these nasty thoughts of God's forgotten about you. God just doesn't love you anymore. So why should you reciprocate that love? There's been times in my own life where it seems like it's just kind of even difficult for me to even show God the love that he deserves. And so this morning, we're going to see how this plays out in this passage. I want to read just a few more verses. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son. This is Jesus into the world that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved brethren, Christians, if God so loved us, ought we also to love one another. Let's start with a word of prayer this morning. Dear Grace Heavenly Father, I thank you that we serve a God that loves us. We serve a God that we can fall in love with. And as I think of all kinds of emotions about you, the one that is my favorite emotion is that I can be in love with my God. And I'm so grateful that we can come to church and we can celebrate that and we can hear that not only are we to love you, but you love us. And because you love us, we can love others this morning. I pray that our hearts would be filled with love for you, love for each other, and love for this world. We thank you for this morning. Thanks for those that are here. I pray now that you would remove distractions and that we would be tuned in to your word. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. A lot of times we talk about the attributes of God and we ascribe love as an attribute of God, but we're missing the point because God is saying, hey, love isn't just one of my attributes. I am love because the Bible's saying God is love. When you think of God to divorce love from that, you're, you're missing out on who God is. And God's saying, hey, I don't just have love. I didn't just procure love. I didn't just fall into love for you. God says I am love. For some of us in this room, we know, we know what it's like to fall in love we know what it's like to uh walk that out and we find that person that we love and we dated them and we married them or maybe we're in a relationship and it's this awesome feeling of falling in love god never fell in love with you though he always loved you you see uh up until 2005 i didn't really know jane ann tanami that was her maiden name i didn't know her there was, there was no love. It wasn't like when I was uh, five and ten. It was like, hey, I love this girl named Jane. Never met her. She's grown up in the Philippines. I'm in the United States. This is, and it, no, it didn't work out like that. I, I fell in love with her over that course of 2005. God didn't one day say, hey, you've come to church enough. You've read your Bible enough. Hey, you look really good today. You did a good job. Therefore, I have fallen in love with you. Because a lot of times we think we got to earn god's love and we feel like well that's my motivation for good behavior and we're going to see that that's not the case this morning and we're going to look at two two characters this morning both were very far from the love of god both were very far from the love of god one didn't think he was very far from the love of god the other it's blatant that they're far from the love of god and we're going to find this in luke 15 okay Luke 15, if you have your Bible, your iPad, your iPhone, just head there, Luke 15. And we're going to look at this passage. Many of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is the story of what's been called the prodigal son. And we're going to see that in this passage, Jesus is teaching in Luke 15, 
three parables, okay? One is about the lost sheep, how God, Jesus, will leave the 99 to go find that one lost one. I thank God that he comes after us. And then also it's the story of the woman with the 10 coins. She lost one coin, so she cleaned the entire house until she had found that lost coin that God searches. He goes after us. And then Jesus comes to this, really, it's kind of like a scandalous parable here in verse number 11 we meet two brothers and jesus brings up this story okay this passage it's a made-up story but it's illustrating the truth of how god loves you and i okay and we're going to find ourselves in this parable this morning and i love it here's how jesus starts out he said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portions of good that followed to me, and he divided unto them his living. Now, we got to stop, and, and there's all kinds of under-the-scenes background work that needs to be laid here. What this younger son is doing is very shameful, okay? Back then, a father or the patriarch of the family, his respect, how well people respect him, wasn't based on how big his bank account was. It was about how much land he owned, okay? It was about how much wealth he had acquired, and here, the younger son, he had two sons. The younger comes and says, hey, dad, I want what's coming to me. I want my portion. I want it now. Now, he would have gotten it. But what he is saying, I don't want to wait for you to die. I wish you would just die right now so I can get what's coming to me. That's, in effect, what he's saying. Now, in Jewish culture, what you would do to shame somebody is you take your left hand and you would slap them, not your right hand. And at this time, you're expecting that this old boy is about to get a left-handed slap from his Jewish father. But that doesn't happen. The Jewish father sells off one-third of his land. You say, how do we know it's one-third? Because the older brother by Jewish law was entitled to two-thirds of the property. So that leaves one-third left for the younger brother, okay? So the younger brother takes what's his. And as Jesus is teaching this parable, I guarantee you, even in a crowd about this size that was listening to Jesus teach, there would have been an audible gasp. Like, I can't believe this arrogant upstart young buck what does he think he's doing people would have just like cringed at this story but it's like jesus like hey it's just a made-up story it's okay it didn't really happen but just go with it okay so jesus is teaching the story and the bible says and he divided unto them his living and not many days after the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country other translations would say into a gentile country and at that, this story just went from bad to worse, okay? If people were upset that he had basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead so I can get what's coming to me, and then gone and then did that, people were upset. But the fact that he said, I'm going to go to this Gentile country, everybody else was like, oh, man, not a Gentile country, because they were Jews, okay? Jews, did ha- they had nothing to do with Gentiles. Matter of fact, in Jewish custom, They had this saying that if a Gentile woman was giving birth, don't help her so there's not another Gentile in the world. That was the custom. That's what Jews thought of Gentiles. So the fact that he took his dad's wealth and then went to a Gentile country, it's like, I can't believe he did that. Basically, what this guy did, he took all his money and he goes to Vegas, okay? That's basically what he's doing because he wants to live it up. He wants to have a good time. And the Bible does tell us what he did. And there, the Bible said, he wasted his substance with riotous living. And I looked up that word 
riotous. It's the old King James word. It actually means he lived without uh, direction in his life. All of a sudden, we could preach a message to a lot of people about finding direction. Because a lot of people just want to live it up and live directionless today. I can see people and talk to them. Hey, what is God calling you to do? Where is God leading you? Where is God directing you? I say, I don't know. What do you want to do with your life? I don't know. I'm just working my job, just kind of going to school here, just kind of doing that. They have no direction. Here, this young man, he had no direction. He had all kinds of money, all kinds of opportunity, but he's going to waste all that. Why? Because he has no direction. Proverbs says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no direction, we perish. Today, we live in an aimless society where there's not a lot of direction. We, as parents, as the church, we're to set direction. And you say, well, nobody's following me. You just go where you're supposed to go. You just set the direction and say, this is where our family's going. If you're going to follow, get in line. This is where my business is going. I'm setting the direction because we live in a day and age where there's very little direction. And you can see it from the White House on down. We're just thinking, where's the direction? Who's leading here? And we need people to say, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to find direction, okay? That was free. That was on the side. Here we go. Keep going. Verse number 14, the Bible says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And that citizen sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, for a Jewish boy, this is, you've hit lower than low. Okay, they weren't to have anything to do with anything that was unclean or anything that had a cloven hoof. And here he is, he's feeding them. He's right there with them. Now, I'll be honest, church, I like bacon. Okay, so I do. I enjoy I enjoy a little bacon. But in his culture, it, no, 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 no bacon. All right. You stay away from that. And then it just gets a little bit worse. And he was so hungry, he would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. He's starving. He's dying here. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You've got to understand something. A hired servant was no good. Hired servant, you could be fired, you could be let go. But then there was another type of servant who they were almost like family. And this is a servant that willingly chose to serve that family. And he said, I'm not even equal with them. Let me be a hired servant that at any moment you can fire me. You can let me go. Just just bring me back on. And that's how many people view salvation. God, I got to earn your favor. That's how they think salvation works. And then God, even though your love is unconditional, I got to do something for it. So I go to church to earn God's love. Hey, listen, church. Coming here doesn't earn God's love. God doesn't love you more because you came. And God doesn't love you less because you didn't come. Now, I want you to come. We want you to be here. But God's love works on principle, not passion. Okay? Let me explain. Principle love says, hey, it's the principle that I love you unconditionally. Passion says this. Passion says, you treat me right, you keep me happy, and I'll keep loving you. That's what passion does. Passion, emotions change, don't they? It changes what we eat, changes what we drink, whether or not we've had enough to rest. Emotions just change. But principle doesn't. And God says, I don't love you on passion. 
Now, other deities, you go to Greek mythology, it was all about passion, wasn't it? We see, if you read any Greek mythology, the gods were just angry with man. They would come down and visit. And it was just, everything was to appease the gods. And you can look and study other religions, too. It's just all about keeping God happy. And you never really can keep him happy. But God said, no, no, I love you based on principle. Because based on who I am. And here, this man, he thought, wait, salvation was based on what I did. And I want you to, as we continue reading, verse number 19, he says, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And I love this. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, you've got to understand, for a Jewish boy in this type of environment to now come home, there's two groups of people that would have wanted him. The father, of course, wanted him. You can imagine the father every day looking out of his house and looking out and maybe he sees a stranger coming up and he kind of sees a silhouette and he gets excited that it's my son. He's coming back, <coughs> coming back and he'd get all excited and then oh, it's not him. Somebody else kind of looks like him waiting for his son day after day after day. But because of the lifestyle that his son lived, because of the way he dishonored his father, there would be another group that would be waiting for his son. It'd be the religious leaders. They would be waiting for him too. But because he rebelled and dishonored his father, they would be waiting to stone him, to kill him. So you can imagine, sometimes we look at the text and we think, well, why is he running towards him? Because the father wants to get to him first. The father says, I'm not going to let them hurt my son. No matter what he's done, I'm going to beat them. Because in this culture, he, he, running for a dignified person was just, you just didn't run. And all of a sudden, you see this guy pulling up his little dress robe thing, exposing the knees and everything, and that was just not to be done, and running after his son. This is God's love pursues us. God comes after us. What a picture. And as Jesus is teaching this parable, all the Jewish leaders would have been around him thinking, oh my goodness, this story is just scandalous. I can't believe, I can't believe a father would, would run to his son, his son who deserves to be stoned, son who deserves to die. And here he's going to stop him. And here he's going to get in the way and say, don't hurt my son. And some of us would have been thinking, I know why he wanted to get to him first. He wanted to finish him off first. He says, I'm going to get my licks in first. No, that's not what it is. The father who had every right, every right to get back, showers him with love, and affection. And our God, who has every right to get even with us, every right. Because when we talk about God as love, sometimes we think, well, yeah, I'm kind of lovable. After all, this person next to me, they love me. They marry me. They're stuck with me. I'm lovable. And we think we're so good. But God says, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not because you're so lovable. I don't love you based on passion. I love you based on principle because it's who I am. And here we see the father ran to him and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, Father. You can almost see the son pushing his father back and kneeling down and saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And he's right. And in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And there's where he had it wrong. Because some of you, you'll have good days and you'll have bad days. And you'll think, man, I'm just not worthy to be called a Christian. If Christianity was based on you and I being worthy, we could never do it. God doesn't love you based on your worthiness because we could never attain worthiness. 
You could spend the rest of your life and doing every good thing, and it doesn't measure up. And there's a lot of good people out there who are doing a lot of good things. They're, they're, they're giving their whole life. They're giving all their wealth. They're doing all this good, but their worth is not based on them. Oftentimes, you'll hear somebody say, well, that person just lost his self-esteem. How many heard that? You ever heard that? Just lost it. Just got to get their self-esteem back. That's what they lost. We need our God esteem back. That's what we need. We need a God esteem back. Or it's, wait a minute, no, no, no. Lifting up God again. That God loves me unconditionally. And I can't earn it. I'm not worthy of it. I never could be. I never, w- I never will be. And he said, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. And put on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Servants didn't get shoes. Slaves didn't get shoes. A son got shoes. And he said, dress him. Get him ready. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found, and they began to be merry. Now his older brother's son was in the field. And as he came into the night of the house, he heard the music and the dancing. I told you there were two characters who both are, gonna, are going to be pursued by God's love. One's going to receive it, one's going to reject it. They're both very far from the love of God, and here we're going to meet the other brother. The other brother, he comes to the house, and he hears the music, he hears the feasting, and instead of being happy that his brother is back and his brother's repented, notice what the Bible says, verse 28, and he was angry and would not go in. He's mad. He's upset. He's angry that, wait a minute, Dad, just going to let him off the hook like that? You're just going to bring him back in after all that he did, after all that he's done. And then the father goes out and entreated him. Don't you love that? The father cared equally about both. It wasn't like, oh, my younger son, he's younger, so I'm going to baby him a little bit. No, no. He still went out for the older one, too. See, God will meet you where you're at. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. If you're willing to come to God, he's willing to come to you this morning. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, God says, hey, you make a step towards me, I step towards you. You take another step, I take a step. And we both meet in the middle. God's not saying, I'm up here, and you have to come all the way up here. God's saying, I will meet you because you're my child, and I love you, and I'm coming towards you. And so God even goes after and goes out and pursues this son. And this son, who said, I won't go in. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Here, can you see what the law is playing into? He says, God, uh, he's saying to his father, I've earned your love. How come you never threw me a party? He's missed it, hasn't he? This would be the legalistic mindset that I, I earned it. And God, you didn't, you didn't treat me right. But as soon as this, thy son, he wasn't even willing to call him his brother. He said, thy son. He's not my brother, your son. As soon as he came, which had devoured thy living, and he, and he gets really specific. He says, harlots, prostitutes. He said, that's where he wasted his living. You wanted to call it riotous living? You want to call it directionless living? Dad, I will tell you what he was doing. I have a question. How did he know? It wasn't like on Facebook they're posting pictures, Okay. It wasn't like his Instagram account, hey, having a really good time in Vegas. How did he know? He had been there. Word had gotten out. He saw exactly what had happened. He knew what was going on. We don't know if he was jealous. We don't know. 
But at this point, he's saying, hey, and he said, Dad, look at what he's done. And he said, you killed the fatty calf for him? He's not worth it. And he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me, and all that I had is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. It's a long passage, but it brings me to one thought. God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Because you and I can find ourselves in one of the brothers this morning. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, I got a pretty bad past. You're like the prodigal son. I mean, he was toe up from the flow up. I mean, he was just messed up. His life was just garbage. But then maybe you're sitting here thinking, I went to church all my life. I got a big old Bible here. I got it memorized. Maybe you're coming up from the other end. God says we both equally, wherever you're at, equally need the love of God. And God says, wherever you may find yourself in this passage, you both are being pursued by the love of God this morning. And God says, my love for you is based on who I am, not based on who you are. God says, I love you. You see, even though we are incomplete, God loves us completely, church. Even though we're, we're, we're dysfunctional, there's things about us we just can't stand. There's things that we wake up and think, I wish God would just change this about me. I wish I didn't have this problem. You see, what's great about the Bible is you and I read the Bible, we discover that we are really far off, we're worse off than we thought. That's really what the Bible does. It's a mirror in James that says, hey, it reveals, it shows us just how bad we really are. But here's what's even better. But it also shows that we are far more loved than we ever dreamed. That's what the Bible does. It shows you just how bad of a sinner you and I are. But then it shows you how much God loves you. I thought about preaching this message out of Hosea. Because the, whole, the same message could be applied to Hosea, could be applied to Ruth. There were so many books last night, it was just like, any, many, many, mo. That's the same outline works. Because God is pursuing us. If some of you are familiar with the minor prophet Hosea, God told him to marry a prostitute. And God said, hey, this prostitute's going to have three kids. And they're not going to be your kids, but you're going to raise them. You're going to take care of them. And she's going to leave you, and you're going to go back, and you're going to get her from the slave block. And that's a picture, as God was saying to Hosea, that's a picture of my love for the nation of Israel. That even though they'll leave me, even though they'll do all that, you're still going to go out and you're going to bring it back in. God says, hey, no matter what you've done, I'm still pursuing you with my love. In Psalms 23, the Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we think that's really nice. It follows me. But when you study that word follow, it actually means the word pursue. It's chasing you down to catch up with you. It's in hot pursuit that the goodness and mercy of God, they're not just like behind you. They're catching up to you. They're going to get you because God says, that's what my love does. It's chasing you. And you're feeling this morning, hey, I'm not worth it. I'm incomplete. I'm broken. And God says, but I still love you completely. I love you unconditionally. And that's why God sent Jesus on a mission of love. That's what it was, folks. It was a mission of love. And here in just a few weeks, started the Christmas season. Can you believe it? 2014 is almost over. It's hard to believe. And we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. And we're going to celebrate why he came. And many people, you're going to hear this, this slogan. He's the reason for the season. And we're like, yeah, that's good, you know. No more Xmas. It's, it's Jesus, God. He's the reason for the season. But the Bible says in Luke chapter number two, for unto you 
is born this day in the city of Bethlehem unto you. We often say that Jesus is the reason for the season. But if you were to ask Jesus, he would say it was you. And I'm not trying to diminish his position, his authority, his power, his grandiose might. I am trying to say it is about you and God is pursuing you with your love. It's no accident that you're here. God says, I love you and I will set my love upon you. I love you. You see, that's the mission of love. But then Jesus also came with a message of love. What do you think this passage is? All these parables. That God left the 99 to go get one? Who does that? It's a sheep. Let it go. You're going to risk your life. You're going to risk the rest of your livelihood over one. And God says, yes, I would. Matter of fact, the Bible says that, hey, the value of a soul is priceless. You could take all the wealth in the world and the soul is worth more. God is saying, that's how much I love you. Many people have said this. They said, this is how much God loved us. They stretched out their arms on the cross. That's how much God loved us. And it was that mission, that message of love. But some of us this morning, you just know about it. And just knowing about the love of God is like knowing that H2O is water. That knowledge does not quench your thirst. It takes more than just knowledge. There's a lot of people that's, that'll tell you, if we were to go in the theater right now and just do a poll, interrupt their movie, interrupt their popcorn, their stone, and just say, hey, hey hold on, the uh, movie's got to stop. We're, we need to take a poll. How many know that God is love? Everybody would shoot their hands up. Everybody knows God is love. But knowledge doesn't get them into heaven, doesn't get them to understand they need to repent, that they need to come to God. It doesn't change that fact. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, well, yeah, I know God loves me. Come on, man. Everybody knows that. My two-year-old knows that. But knowledge is never enough. It's like that knowledge of the H2O doesn't quench our thirst. But notice, we're incomplete, but God loves us completely. Also, we're imperfect, but God loves us perfectly completely and perfectly matter of fact in jeremiah 31 verse 3 the bible says the lord hath appeared of old unto me saying yea i have loved thee with an everlasting love and you thought that songwriter wrote it no 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 no. jesus god in his word he penned it in everlasting love god says my love is everlasting remember how we started out god didn't fall in love with you the day you said i need to go to church wasn't the day god says okay start the clock i can love him now That's not when it started. God said, before time began and after time ends, I will still love you. See, some of you, you came in this morning. It was kind of tough to go into church. You're like me. You didn't didn't have the best week. Things didn't go exactly what you wanted. You did things you're not exactly proud of. And you don't feel very worthy right now. You feel kind of just like, man, I just blew it. And sometimes coming to church, you just feel worse. I want you to feel better this morning because God loves you the same at your best state as at your worst state. Let's take it a step farther. God loves you, Christian, with your beautiful clothes, your nice Bible, your generous giving, your heart for God, as much as he loves a terrorist that's involved in the ISIS organization. You say, no. Some of us need to see that, okay, I can walk out. Because the, the, the trick of Satan is to get you, and this is the greatest of all sin, and this is what the serpent wanted to do. He wanted you to doubt the love of God, that it's not enough. He wants you to doubt that he really doesn't care, really doesn't love. And once you believe that, you miss it. 
But God is saying, I love you perfectly, completely. Yes, you're not lovable, but I love you. We're imperfect, but God is perfect. You see, one thing I love about God's love doesn't come with rules and restrictions. And sometimes that's what we think. We think, well, now I'm saved. In comes the rules and restrictions. I just moved over carriers. It's a good day in my life. It's like getting saved all over again when you move carriers. I had, uh, I won't mention the carrier unless you had that carrier. But if you tried to call me uh, nine times out of ten, it was a dropped call, okay? Some of you are like, I couldn't get a hold of him. It's because my phone just didn't work at my house. They built some apartments behind my house, and literally we had no coverage at our house. So I switched over, but then they hand you all these rules and restrictions, and you're like, whoa, look at all these things that I can't do. Or how many of you ever fell for that trick of the frequent flyer miles? Yeah, some of you, a few of you. Uh, do you ever get to use your miles? They're like, oh, you wanted to fly on an airplane with your miles? <laughs> no, 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 that doesn't happen. Oh, you wanted to go on a normal date? No, 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 you get to fly on leap year. That's one day a year you can use your fr- frequent flyer miles. Why? Because of rules and restrictions. No, no this is not going to work. You know, you got all these things. You, know, you thought I'd get on an airplane. No, no, you're like out in the wing. You're sitting in the bathroom or something. They're like, no, 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 you got this one time a year to use those miles. And it's just like you just forget it. I'm done dealing with it. Just let the miles go because of rules and restrictions. And some of you, that's what's kept you so far from God. You're like the legalist brother. Oh, dad, I, I, I towed the line. And you never gave me a fatty calf. And some of us who have gone to church a long time, we can kind of fall into that. We can lose our heart, and we just think it's all about rules and restrictions. That God just limits me, restricts me. And it's not that at all. God is saying, I'm the father here. I go to the one who's lived like the devil, and I go to the one who lives like a saint. They both need my love. Both come into the house and celebrate. He's saying to the son, you want to celebrate? Let's go. I've got a celebration. But this legalist son says, I don't want to celebrate in his celebration. I want my own. And God's saying, wait a minute, it's one. Some of us may have a hard time that heaven's going to be shared with some people. We'd say, I don't know if they belong in here. That's what the legalist brother was saying. Yeah, I like the party, Dad, but I want my own party for my legalistic friends where we were all goody two-shoes and we told the line. I want a separate party. I want a separate heaven is what I want. And the father said, no, no, there's only one. There's only one. You can come into the house. Both are welcome in the house. Praise God. We are all welcome in the house. God says it doesn't matter where you're from. Come into the house. He's saying to the legalistic brother, you want to party? Let's party. You want to feast? Let's feast. Come on into the house. God is sitting here with arms wide open to you, with love unconditionally saying, let's go. Come on in. What's holding you out in the cold? You want to stay out there? Don't stay out there. The Bible says he compels them to come in. He begs and he pleads, come in. I love you. Even though we're imperfect, even though we're incomplete, God says, I love you. And lastly, even though we're illogical, God loves us unconditionally. You say, what do you mean illogical? Let's just be honest. What we do doesn't always make sense. What I do does not always make sense. People look at you and think, what were you thinking? You're saying, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't even know if I was thinking at all. I just did it. It was dumb. We're illogical. We do things that we're just like, our spouses look at you and they're just like, why? And you're like, I don't know. Felt good. Just did it. Didn't think. Just did it. I bought it. I took it back. You know, it's just illogical. Our lives don't make sense. But God says, even though you're going to do things that are so illogical, I love you unconditionally. You see, legalism will tell you that God will love us if we change. And that's where some of us are. 
that God will love me if I change this habit. If I stop that, then maybe God will love me. But the reality is the gospel says God will change us because he loves us. It's because God loves you. He's changing you. You don't have to change to receive God's love. And maybe that's where you're at this morning, Christian. And God's saying, hey, I'll do the changing in your life. I'll do it. The Bible says the one son who would spend his life with prostitutes and wasted his living, the Bible says he came to himself, he repented, and he came to God. God did a work in his heart. God used circumstances and situations to bring him back to the Father. And here's what's awesome. The Bible says, and he remembered how his father treated his servants. It was the knowledge that he had received when he was younger. It was the consistent character of God to show love. And he knew that his father would show love to him. If not as a son, then as a servant, he knew he'd be loved. You see, that's our God. You're saying, I don't feel very loved, but look around and how he's shown love to others. I got some text messages this week that were so encouraging from people, how God was giving them a new job position. God was blessing them. And I got excited because I love looking around at the landscape of Christianity and seeing God pour out his blessing on his children, on those that he loves, because God loves us. And he wants to pour out his love lavishly. Because Jesus paid an unthinkable price, folks. He did what he did on the cross. What this father did was kind of unthinkable. Everybody else looked around and said, I, I don't know what you're doing. That guy's not worth it. I, I, I wouldn't have given him a new robe. Give him a hand-me-down robe. You put a ring on his finger, that's a sign of authority. That's a sign of power. You're saying his position is restored? Yes. You see, we are fallen man, and God says, I want to restore. I want to redeem your position as a child of God. God said, I want to put the authority back on. Shoes on his feet. I want people to know that he's not a hired servant. He's my son. And God wants you to know that you are his daughter. You are his son. You're a child of the king this morning. You see, Jesus paid that unthinkable price. Jesus made an unconditional promise, though, when he said, I love you. When God said, I love you, it was unconditional. No strings attached. No rules and restrictions. No, no requirements. When my wife and I bought our first home, I couldn't believe the amount of paperwork. I mean, it's just piled up. And you're just trusting the mortgage broker that it's going to be okay. Because there's no way I read all of that paperwork. All I know is I handed it to my wife, and she put it in a file box. And we hope we don't get sued. We hope we don't get foreclosed on. We're just like, I hope it all works out because I'm not leading on that. And some of us look at God like he's just waiting to smack us down like you didn't see in the fine print everything I put in there. Ha, 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 ha. And get back at us. That's not what God's doing. God's saying, my love is unconditional. There's no conditions here. There's no strings attached. Will you receive the love of God? The Bible says this in John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're saying, I've never, I've never received that love. I, I, I didn't realize it was unconditional. I thought to come to church, I got to clean up. I got to fix myself up, make myself presentable, dust myself off. That son came straight from the pig pen straight back to the father. He didn't shower. He didn't shave. He just came home. And God says, just come home. Just come to the father. I don't care what you look like, dress like, smell like, act like. I will do the work because your father says, I'll take care of you. I'll fix it. Don't come as the other brother who thinks that, man, I, I, I did it. I pulled myself on my own bootstraps. God says, no, no, no. Both come by grace. I want to finish with a thought. And I want to leave this on our minds. 
we say that God's love is unconditional. God loves us completely, perfectly, unconditionally. But the only thing that's going to keep you outside the love of God, or the only thing that can stop God's love, is you not receiving it. That's the only thing that can stop God's love, is you not receiving it. There's this story of a couple, and this guy, he, uh, he really loved this girl, so he decided to um, write her a letter every day. Wrote her a letter every day. Day after day, just wrote her a letter, wrote her a letter. letter. Just how much he, he just loved and adored her. Every day he wrote it, wrote it, wrote it. By the end, she uh, ended up marrying the mailman. <laughs> Why would you tell her that story? Here's a guy who loved her, and man, he didn't get her. That's terrible. That's not what God's trying to do. God's not saying, oh, you missed out. God's saying, no, no, no. I'm offering it. Will you receive it? Will you come to me this morning? Will you receive the love of God that he is offering? That's what the church should be known about. That's what you should be known about, is that love. The Bible says, by all, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that, you're, that people know that you're my followers, that you have love one with another. You see, some of you, you say, well, it's really hard for me to love. Then have you truly received the love of God? Because once you receive it, then, then you can. I don't have a lot of love in and of myself, but because God has lavished his love on me, I got plenty in the tank to give out. And that's how it happens with the church. We don't love out of this own, oh, worthy. No, no, we love because he loved us. That goes back to 1 John 4. God richly loves us. But God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Let's pray.